Armin Lehmann gives his eyewitness account of the last days of Hitler's Third Reich. I'm Richard. And I'm Gary, and these are our incredible stories. Welcome back to all of our listeners across the U.S. and around the world. We're happy to have you here with us for another incredible story. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, we hope you like what you hear, and we hope you like it so much that you hit that like and subscribe button on your phone or on your computer, wherever you're listening to us. And uh, you can always join us each and every Friday for new episodes. Uh, this evening, we are going to be continuing the incredible story of Armin Lehmann, uh, Hitler's last courier. Uh, last time uh, you got to hear a little bit of Armin talking about uh, his uh, first years and, and being in the Hitler Youth and, and some of the things that he dealt with. Um, and so this evening we're going to continue that story and uh, find out a little bit more about what happened, especially uh, what he dealt with towards the end of World War II. Yes, indeedy. And I might uh, remind you folks that... Uh, if you really enjoy uh, what you heard last week and what you hear tonight, Armin has uh, two books out. Uh, one is titled Hitler's Last Courier, and the other is Inside Hitler's Bunker. Now, that book has been translated into seven different languages, Gary, including Chinese. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can go to YouTube and see a documentary film about his experiences as one of Hitler's boy soldiers, and that documentary is titled Eyewitness to History, which was produced by a Blue Heron International Pictures. Eyewitness to History on YouTube, uh, inside Hitler's bunker at your favorite bookseller, and you will be in for a fascinating, detailed story from this part of history. So, um, with that uh, said, I think we are about ready to turn it over to Armin once again to finish his story, incredible story. And then uh, Gary and I will be back at the end of Armin's uh, uh, story and uh, wrap up with a few comments of our own. Uh, quick bazooka training again, and uh, Guchka, who was our unit commander, had made me his courier. And I was between Berlin and Frankfurt out there on a Gutz uh, estate, large farm, polishing my belt. And a jeep drove up, and from the jeep, a high official descended, and he had a wooden arm. And I realized him immediately that he was the top Hitler Youth leader by the name of and what I have to mention here is that because I had uh, helped these two wounded comrades find uh, some decong, some pr protection, um, I was awarded the Iron Cross. Usually you only get the Iron Cross if you attack or be in a... Uh, but in my case, Kuchke, my commander, had some of us decorated who had helped others uh, during our first battle. So Axman gets out there 
I salute, and he salutes back, and he gets here and said, where did you uh, uh, earn your Iron Cross? And I said, in Wanzen Oletal, uh, had to describe it, and he said, are there other uh, Hitler youth here? Uh, and there were four of us all total, and he went to my commander and said, I want these boys in Berlin on the 18th. Uh, to be part of a delegation to wish the Führer a happy birthday. Now, I was just floored, uh, and, you know, at the time, completely indoctrinated and completely believing that uh, uh, things would go well for Germany and no idea uh, what Hitler represented and what was going on uh, uh, was Joyce. We made it to Berlin, were put up in the guest house of the Reich Youth uh, leader and supposed to assemble at midnight on April the 19th, and that was canceled. Instead, we were driven to the main radio station. Deutschland Center uh, had received a script to read. Uh, congratulations to our Führer. And I had some radio experience because the big job my father received in Breslau when we moved to Breslau was uh, number two of the Rice Center Breslau, the radio station. So some of the Berliner uh, even knew who I was and who my father was. So I tried to find this tape again, the Oxman tape they served, <laughs> um, preserved and kept. Uh, the Lehman tape is gone. But the first uh, reception was set for 10 o'clock in the morning on the 20th was postponed till noon, and then finally at 5 p.m. it took place. And it looked pretty dismal, except the back of the Reich Chancellery um, was still in a situation that uh, we could assemble there and Hitler dared to come up there during a time period where there were no Stalin orgel attacks by the Russians. There were three delegations. Frontsburg, which uh, was an uh, uh, SS delegation. Then we had Kurland, uh, Wehrmacht delegation. And then we had the Hitler Youth. And I was number two in the lineup, and uh, I could not believe the position and the condition Hitler was in. I had seen him in 1938 at the Jahrhunderthalle, which is a, a big hall in Breslau, and uh, I wouldn't say athletic, but he looked like a strong man in 
his 30s, 40s, and made a healthy impression, and had some of this um, radiance people talk about his charisma. In 1945, when he came out escorted by two of his adjutants, Günther was one, and the other, I can't think the name right now, uh, who left in a courier plane. But uh, nevertheless, I'm going to show you, he had his arm on the coat jacket holding onto it because he was shaking so badly. It looked like today one would suspect uh, some Parkinson disease or what have you. The newsreel made when we, on April the 20th, were at the Reich Chancellor. Two days later, crashed in Bavaria on a courier plane, and they didn't discover this till the 70s, I think, 74 or 75, and nothing was in a condition that could be preserved. One thing in my mind, uh, I never figured out how a person like Axman, who was very intelligent, had uh, education, uh, was short, a couple semesters of being a uh, jurist, a law person, uh, could have such boundless loyalty and blind loyalty. Um, he would do anything anytime, anywhere, for his Fuhrer. And Oxman had this plan of uh, allocating 30,000 Hitler youth from the entire German region that was still in, in German hands to come and bring to Berlin and then even form a unit to build a human shield to get Hitler out of the bunker. And that never materializes because Hitler was not up to it. He was not up to it physically. And uh, by this time, Eva Braun had joined him. So it was out of the question. Most of my comrades went right back to their units, including the others from our unit. I don't know why, maybe because I had experience as a runner. Axman set up his own home defense unit, Berlin Brigade Arthur Axman, and he put his hand on my shoulder and said, you're going to stay in Berlin and you're going to be my courier. Order. Yes. So that is the reason why I, I ended up in the bunker. So after I was selected to become Axman's courier, we went to the Reichsjugendbank and to the old offices and then the uh, Russian um, Katushas reached us. And then Axman uh, went to a Lagerbesprechung, which was a situation uh, briefing and came back and said, 
we are going to move into the party chancellery. Now, guess what? The party chancellery was right across from the bunker entrance, but not the main entrance, but the back entrance of the bunker. Because I remember the first sketch of the bunker I saw, it had the stairs from the upper to the lower bunker uh, shown as a spiral. And it was straight up right. There was a guardsman. And then there was a kitchen and a room which we used as a dining room. There was no dining hall. Nothing was wide enough to really be a hall. And when they talk about uh, parties uh, Eva Brown gave up, that was in the air raid shelters of the original Reich Chancellery and had nothing to do with the bunker. There was no room in the bunker large enough uh, to accommodate a party. I had to run to every known unit within reach from the bunker uh, to dispense these orders that, you know, we should assemble for the protection of the bunker personnel and of the Fuhrer himself. And I made it to three or four, and that was the end of it. By this time, the Russians were so close that not only the sharpshooters uh, reached us, but uh, artillery of every size imaginable. So it was a steady rain of shrapnels. And we were situated right across from the bunker, Wilhelmstrasse, and every time you crossed it, you were in the line of fire. The Russians had sharpshooters all over the place. So once there were three of us, this is one image that comes up again and again and again, is when three of us tried to cross Wilhelmstrasse, two of the boys made the sign of the cross and just blew to pieces in front of me. And just by seconds later, I uh, ran across and made it. So then Axman came out and declared that Hitler is... Oh, one thing I should mention too, which remained with me forever. Uh, a week or so before the end of the war, the wife of the propaganda minister, uh, Frau Goebbels, came with her six children. And two of these children, two girls of the children, could have been sisters of mine. They had such a resemblance of my sister Anya and my sister uh, Ute. Uh, I was just aghast. Because I knew that these kids were going to be murdered. Mrs. Goebbels was so fanatic like her husband and said it wouldn't be worth uh, her children experiencing the future. And then, of course, they killed themselves, the Goebbels. So um, I knew of this, 
And I know that uh, Hitler had decided to commit suicide. So Axmann came over to Wilhelmstrasse where we had our quarters and he had his command post and uh, told us that Hitler had committed suicide. Now the whole picture changed. Um, I think instinct sets in. Uh, I suddenly started thinking, how do I survive? And during this time, word came down that Monke, who was General Monke, who had decided to get his troops out of the bunker area. And there were other units too, and Axman went uh, to a briefing and they decided in 20 minute intervals, uh, we would, during the night, try to break out and uh, hopefully survive. Um, the time came we were supposed to go as number five in 20 minute intervals, but Axman got impatient and we went in third place. And all the others went underground, U-Bahn and canalization and so forth. And Axman decided that we would uh, remain on the surface so we went close to the houses that were still, and the streets that were still recognizable, and came to a bridge, and a tank exploded in front of us, and Axman decided, uh, because we had proceeded single lane, and he decided we should not cross the bridge because uh, of the fire, the intense fire, but work our ways down the river and then uh, cross on the next bridge. It never materializes because he sent me back as his courier to get off all of our people, and we had agreed on the assembly point, which was uh, Admiral Theaters. I still remember that. Um, I made it to the first couple product to Hoon and uh, Rittmeister Bolt and then two or three others crossed the street again and that's the end of World War II for me. I just have to say again how incredible Armin Lehman's story is. Uh, I don't know anybody uh, that young who could deal with such stress and anxiety going through all of the things that he went through. Uh, but I think what is even more impressive is that uh, he was able to put a positive spin on his life and take something that was such a negative and use it to uh, change the lives of others and persuade them to go in a direction of peace and tolerance and, and not let that uh, negative part of his life uh, turn him into somebody who would become like a recluse or just, you know, push away people altogether. I mean, it, 
it, it took a lot of courage to um, do a lot of the things that he did. Yes, uh, and uh, that courage started, uh, you know, right uh, from his uh, childhood because his father was a, a fanatical Nazi. He was a member of the SS Sickerheitsdienst, which, you know, included the Gestapo and, and organizations such as that. And so his father wanted him to become a fanatical Nazi. And Armin, uh, he was a gentle soul. He was into animals. Um, he was into writing poetry. And uh, this, uh, this just wasn't the ideology that, uh, you know, he could wrap himself into at all. And so he resisted uh, strong pressure from his father uh, not to go down that path. And uh, I said uh, last week how uh, ironic it is that he accomplished what he did, um, you know, um, despite, um, despite being the gentle soul that he was. For example... He won an Iron Cross in battle at the Eastern Front. Um, Hitler uh, sent him into battle there. Um, uh, Arthur, Arthur Axman, actually the uh, Hitler Youth Director, sent him into battle there in the Eastern Front before he ended up, uh, you know, assigned uh, to uh, to the uh, Reich Chancellery as Hitler's courier. And he didn't win the Iron Cross by shooting and killing people. He won his Iron Cross because under fire, he crawled out from safety and brought back one of his wounded comrade friends to where the person could receive treatment for his wounds. Mm. So he won an Iron Cross not by, uh, for taking somebody's life, but for saving somebody's life. That's Armin. Yeah. That was Armin. Yeah. Um, he was that kind of person, uh, the gentle soul. So yeah. that's how he... That's how he uh, won his Iron Cross and yeah. became one of that uh, Hitler Youth Heroes delegation there uh, for uh, Hitler's last uh, birthday on April 20th, 1945. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it wasn't the fact that he uh, shot anybody. He never did. He mm -hmm. never killed anybody yeah. in battle. Yeah. But uh, I think what is uh, really fascinating is that uh, at the end of the war, once he found out the truth about what was going on, he made the decision to toss that iron cross and his uniform and other things into oh, the fire. I know, I know. He was so devastated. that uh, And iron cross, you do not understand, you know, just what an honor the iron cross uh, was in the German military tradition and to just throw it away and just totally break with the past at only 17 years old, Gary. Mm -hmm. But it was the representation of what it meant yeah, to him yeah. and what he realized yeah. all at, of that meant. So at only 17 years old, he turned, he turned his life uh, totally away from his past and uh, headed to the future in which he would try and keep people from ever having to undergo what he underwent. I'd also like to mention, and uh, this would have thrilled Armin no end had he been alive to realize this, but his beloved personal library of more than 1,000 research volumes about World War II has been donated to a special collection at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. They have a Center for the Study of War and Society there, and Armin's library is now available for researchers worldwide at the University of Southern Mississippi. So, folks, that wraps up this incredible story. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. 
And uh, like I said before, if you are a first-time listener, make sure that you hit that like and subscribe button. Uh, We'd love to have you join us again each and every Friday for new and incredible stories like the one that you've heard and hopefully ones that you've never heard before. Uh, So once again, I'm Richard and I'm Gary. And this was a truly incredible story.